faith. Faith is a loaded word. It can sometimes be filled with heaviness or sadness, as in, if only I had enough faith, or my faith is shattered. But more often, it is a term of hope, belief, and trust. Faith has been central in my life this summer, not just as an Episcopalian or a deacon or a believer and follower of Jesus. It is a core force that I often have to dig, dig deep to find. I've spent the last three months as a chaplain intern at Maine Medical Center in Portland, fulfilling an ordination requirement known as clinical pastoral education, or CPE. My job is to go into patients' rooms and offer them spiritual care in any way that is most helpful for them. That could mean having a spiritual conversation with them, to be praying, or listening to their stories, or even getting tossed out of the room, giving patients agency to make a decision. Because I never know what I will encounter, I, will, I have to have faith in myself and in my training so that I can cross each threshold. Paul, or whomever wrote the letter to the Hebrews that we read this morning, defines faith in the first line of the epistle. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You may have seen this in placards at um, Bed Bath and Beyond or Target. This is a popular phrase. But the author of this letter goes on in the following paragraph to reference Abraham. And being the lover of the Hebrew Bible that I am, off I went to explore Genesis. <clears throat> As a side note, uh, making sense out of the lectionary readings each week is often like a treasure hunt. You pick a place to start and then follow the hints. So, Genesis. In today's passage, Abraham isn't even called Abraham yet. He's still Abram, and his wife is still Sarai. He questions God about the kind of reward he could receive because he didn't have children, and Eliezer was his heir. Is his heir. That may appeal to some darkness folks, but Abram wasn't thrilled. God, being God, did not just say, hey, you're going to have lots of descendants, don't sweat it. And he didn't say, look, you're in the desert, look at all the sand. Each grain is a, is a uh, descendant. Because lots of grains of sand together form the ground, and then you just feed the ground. But God did it better. He waited until night. And the work, when the work of the day had ceased, and all had quieted down. And then God brought Abram outside on what was probably a moonless night. And of course, no ambient light from the city or a ballpark. And had him look up. Count the stars, he said. We know how Abram's story goes. Thirteen or fourteen years later, he does have children of his own even more than Ishmael and Isaac, the two we know best. What kept him going during those 13 or 14 years? I wonder about the, the amount of faith it must have taken 
to hold on to that promise that God had made to him. That's some pretty serious delayed gratification right there. How wonderful it must have been for him to look up at the night sky and know, and really know, that God would keep his promise. When was the last time you were out on a moonless night? Did you remember to look up? Or did you do whatever it was you had to do, knowing the stars were there, they'll be there again? And someday, sometime later, you might be able to take a few minutes to gaze. That same star, that same sky, those same stars that Abram saw and that we ourselves see now when we make a point of looking at them, were part of Jesus' world. In the passage from Luke today, we heard the same phrase that we heard in Genesis. Do not be afraid. There are plenty of places in the Bible where that phrase is spoken, and fear is often quite the appropriate response. I can only speak for myself, but if an angel decides to appear in front of me and tell me I'm having a baby, I promise you that fear would be at the very top of my list of reactions for any number of reasons. But in these two passages, the meaning is more of have faith. Jesus is giving his disciples some good news, that it's God's good pleasure to give them the kingdom of heaven. And then the instructions, sell your stuff, give to the poor. And however you define your purse as something to hold your time, your talent, and your treasure, Make sure you have enough to take care of yourself as well as taking care of others. Prioritize your life. Now, this to-do list is not about getting your affairs in order and sitting and waiting for Jesus to arrive again and fix the mess that we are in. We are in. This is a call. It's a vocation to be ready and willing to serve God. Unlike Abram. This does not have to be another delayed gratification. God has given us plenty of gifts. We all have different ones that fit together like a puzzle if we take the time to work together and figure that part out. And we can and should use these gifts to create the kingdom of heaven right here and right now. Now, as we help swelter in this heat today, I wonder if some might have the gifts needed to work with other like-minded people to really be good stewards of this fragile earth, our island home. Something has changed over the last hundred years or so. We may not have started a lot of it, but if we don't work harder on more solutions to heal the land, the water, and the air, we're not working toward that kingdom. Perhaps some have gifts in education or food science or animal husbandry. Or some in our midst have a knowledge of the law that might help those who've been displaced or wrongly accused or might work with others to stop, stop school children from having to learn safety lessons that include not wearing light-up because the shooter might see them and shoot them. If you can't do anything like that, and you're just 
one you want to be alone, I'm going to ask you right here and right now to pray. To pray that we all find a way that we can work together and build a better world now that represents the kingdom of heaven. Now, lest you think I'm getting too close to politics, that is not ever my intention. I cannot believe that a God who loves us loves any political party any more than any other one. Jesus very plainly said, Love God, love your neighbor. Loving means meeting your neighbor where they are and helping them if you can. If you can't, for whatever reason, it costs nothing to be nice. God's good treasure for us is peace, and our treasures make that happen. Our motivation is faith. Last Sunday, I was on call at the hospital for the 12-hour day shift. I was the only chaplain in the entire place. This is the six of the bed hospital. <coughs> in addition to seeing patients who wanted to talk to the chaplain, I went to six medical codes, and I attended four deaths. Near the end of the shift, I was visiting one of my favorite patients who's been there for about five weeks, and she said, how do you do it? How do you deal with patients and their families who are going through long-term or life-ending illnesses? Are those experiencing acute trauma and are having one of the worst days of their lives? My simple answer was and is faith. I have faith in the gifts that God has given us to work together in ways that reflect our relationship with God. And I have faith that should someone's earthly life be done, then that there's more waiting for us. And I am privileged to be able to see them off. And I have faith that each time I knock on the door and cross the threshold of the patient's room, I am well prepared for whatever unexpected treasure I might find. In the wee hours of this morning, as I let my rather insistent cat Oliver out, I remembered to look at the sky. There were some clouds, and the moon, although not full, was very bright. And of course, I, I live at Fort Devens, there's a lot of ambient light. Some stars were still visible. My faith tells me that they're all still there, even if I cannot see them. This week, I invite you to spend some time with the stars. Do some quiet time. Enjoy the meteor showers toward the end of the week if you can see them. And ponder the gifts that you have been given for the kingdom of heaven and the glory of God. Amen.